Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Current Yield. This is uh, Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air. I am Jim Grant, and with me, as usual, is uh, Eric Whitehead to my left at the control panel, and the great editor of uh, Grant's Interest Rate Observer, Evan Lorenz, sitting directly across. And we have a special guest today whose name is Michael Schaus, and he heads, does Michael, heads uh, research at Brenton Point, which is uh, an arm of the great Zweig Demeta uh, Money Management and Research Operations. So, Michael, welcome to you. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. Michael, I, um, before we get into things, including naming our fabulous advertisers, I want to hold up a relic, all right? And this takes the form of a Rolodex card, all right? Can you see this? Wow. Listeners, can you see this? I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you the first three numbers of this phone number, and I want you to fill in the fourth. Okay, ready? 765 9860? Nine, no, 9360. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, this is, now, what, is, what, what uh, stop on your career was this phone number attached to? That must have been uh, first number at, uh, at Zweig Domena. You've been there since 1992? <clears throat> Back in 1992. Yeah, all right. So, uh, uh, without commerce first, right? So, it falls to me, it is my pleasure to announce today's sponsors. Uh, NetSuite is one, and Away Luggage is the other. When we announce Away Luggage, we have to thump on this fabulous. Well, like, give me a little more. That's uh, fortissimo, please. All right. That's how substantial a piece of luggage is, away luggage. So, uh, Evan, to begin with, tell us about your insight today with respect to our friends, our sparring partners at the European Central Bank. Yeah, so we recorded this a few days before you're listening to it. But this morning, the ECB came out and said, come September, it's going to issue new loans to banks, the long-term refinancing operation, issue probably hundreds of billions. Didn't of- they do that before? Yeah, they did it years ago. Uh. And, I, and it kind of reminded me of something. Uh, years ago, Homer Simpson gave an ode to his favorite beverage, beer. Beer, to the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. And it came to me that if you just uh, substitute easy money, you kind of get monetary policy. <laughs> yeah, it is indeed the cause of and solution to. It reminds me of our approach to the Fed's dual mandate here at Grants, which is uh, arsonist and fireman. Who was the Fed chief who came out earlier this week who said, we can't raise rates anymore because companies have borrowed much because we cut rates so much that they borrowed a lot? Ah, that would be the president of the Dallas Federal Reserve Bank. And um, I would name his name, except in the first place, it would be uncharitable because I think he'll live to regret that. In the second place, I can't remember. But I, I, I do recall he's, a, he's an alumnus of Goldman Sachs and therefore... Good people. Yeah. Buy low and sell high and stuff like that. All right. So, um, so Michael Schaus, welcome to this program. You of the long-serving... Uh, research experience under Marty Zweig, who is one of my favorite people on Wall Street. What did he teach you? I was lucky to work for Marty. Um, uh, it was my summer job at a business school in 1992. You're from Columbia, no? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'd actually read his book before even going to work there um, or even applying there. Um, and uh, I think we have a copy right here on the table. Yes, we do. Could you hold it up for the listeners? <laughs> Marty's wife's winning on Wall Street. Yeah, no, I, I was extremely lucky to work for him, um, as well as Joe Domena. The two of them together were, uh, and, and Joe Domena continues to be a, a, just a great force. Um, and what they figured out early on was to have the stock picking and the macro picture uh, risk control were really two different full-time jobs. Um, and I think um, even today, I think a lot of people do the stock picking and they leave the macro picture as a default. Either they 
you know, react to the market. You're um, uh, kind of equating the macro picture and risk management. Are they not two separate things? Risk control that Marty did was really to figure out how much we should have in stocks and out of stocks and how much risk there was in the market at any one point in time, as opposed to picking stocks and generating alpha. Um, and so those so were- So he started from the top down. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So that's when I say macro, trying to determine, uh, you know, where's the risk. He started out um, really where the three three legs of his stool were, were um, you had monetary, you had tape, and you had sentiment. So the monetary was Federal Reserve and interest rates um, and the economy. And then you had sentiment, which you're measuring, you know, investors, what, what you're trying to get at there is what their exposure is indirectly by using, uh, you know, surveys and put call ratios. And, and then you put that together uh, with the Federal Reserve and the three of those give you a very good picture of the market. Um, and he learned lessons along the way, you know, 1973, you know, tape is going against you, you know, you, you want to cut back. Um, and when the Federal Reserve is hiking uh, too aggressively, you, you, you want to cut back for that too. Well, did you cut back in, in uh, November and December on account of the expectation and the fact of the Federal Reserve seeming to tighten as it perhaps ought not to have done? This year? Yeah. So in 2018, uh, we cut back in January due to the excessive sentiment. Back in 2016, in that correction, you had extreme pessimism, kind of like we had in December, mm. this last December. And it took uh, most hedge funds until the fourth quarter of 2017 to get back in. And sure enough, that was right before the market uh, went lower. Uh, the market declined there. Um, and sentiment improved. And the background has been was good all year in 2018. Right. And so the, the trick there was to stay invested. And we, you know, the, the sentiment did not get excessive in October. And the hard part in that fourth quarter was to stay invested because I think the norm was most people cut back. Um, and the sentiment again got extreme by December. And um, the, the important thing there was to stay long. Did. Well, there are many extremes in the world, and one of them is uh, this most extraordinary fact that, uh, according to Bank America, Merrill Lynch, there's $11 trillion worth of bonds in the world priced to yield less than nothing. And uh, if you talk to uh, Dick Silla, the still-living co-author of the Sidney Homer book, History of Interest Rates, you will find that um, never before in the history of 3,000 years was any substantial number of securities priced to yield less than nothing, let alone $11 trillion worth. Now, is that not an extraordinary expression of sentiment of some kind with regard to fixed income? Absolutely. You know, central banks around the world are loose, and they just got a little looser today, right? And without looking at the level and saying, you know, it, they, we've gone too far in this cycle, if central banks are loose, and sentiment is uh, still pretty good from December. You have hedge funds that haven't even gotten back in, and you have institutions haven't gotten back in. Um, you have inflation now is 1.6% and falling, and you have a moderate economic growth where uh, the ISM is still you know, 50, uh, I think it's 54. That combination historically is very bullish for stocks. And so without looking at the level of risk and saying, you know, it's gone too far, the conditions right now are very positive for stocks, which is why we have a, a five rating in stocks right now. Uh, Michael, so 
In reaction to the ECB announcing that it's going to be easy for longer, it's not going to raise rates this year, and it's going to do the LTROs uh, sometime later this year, stocks actually fell. And I know as a, a stock guy, like if you see a stock that reports really bad earnings, but it rallies, it, it kind of means that the market's looking through those earnings and things are going to get better. But now we saw the central banks getting easier and the market seemed to look through that and say, something's not good. How do you read that? Well, I think that the uh, ECB um, has proven to be a little latecomer to information. If you look at their... Now, what does that mean, Michael? Does that mean they're... Uh, lagging indicator. Ah, like hedge funds, apparently, listening to you. <laughs> apparently. But so they cut their GDP forecast down, back down to consensus. Um, and we've had all the information showing that Europe is weak. I mean, their ISM... Uh, the, the PMI, the market PMI has come down for the past 12 months. So the fact that Europe is slowing was not news. So when they came out and said, all right, we think the economy is going to be slow, I think that's old news. So sometimes the market goes down initially, sometimes it goes up. It's, it, it is a, it's something people use, but it's not reliable long term. But the, the real issue right now is that the dollar is getting stronger based on that. And if the dollar keeps getting stronger, that is real. So generally we look at, you know, political events as less significant than real events that that are monetary and economic. And the dollar getting stronger becomes a real a real event as opposed to somebody just saying something. Now, uh, does that mean the dollar is going to continue to strengthen in your opinion? Uh, our our indicators are pretty neutral on the dollar right now because the US is is relatively stronger, um, but then you have other um, cross currents. So no strong opinion there. But if it does weaken, then that would be bullish for you know commodities and, and foreign stocks, for sure. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a word to you from Away Travel. And uh, here's a mission statement. Ready? Okay. We are a team of thinkers, seekers, and designers. Our focus and inspiration is movement, times, transition, exploration, and surprise. We create special objects that are at home on the road that carry you forward, making your trip easier and, in a small way, your life better. We were founded by two friends from New York who found themselves at JFK with dead phones, delayed flights, and a bright idea, luggage with power. Thus, Away Carry On was born. All right, so that's the mission statement. Now, Away happens to be the perfect luggage. It says it right here. It's a perfect luggage. We create special objects that are designed to be resilient, resourceful, and essential to the way you travel today. So they ask thousands of people how they pack, why they travel, and what bugs them most about their luggage. Now, here, I have a travel story. It says, give you relate your own story. Okay, so it's a guy, I, it's a, it must have been Heathrow Airport, and this uh, evidently aristocratic gentleman is checking some luggage. And uh, this is in the early days of the uh, new security regime, I guess just shortly after 9-11. And the clerk says, sir, did you pack this yourself? And he says, ha, pack it myself, the very idea. It's the way I want to live. Pack my own bag, crazy? That's why we have help. Yeah, where was I? Oh, yes, inspired by true travel stories. That was one. All right, Way uses high-quality materials while offering a much lower price compared to other brands by cutting out the middleman and selling directly to you, poor middleman. Choose from nine colors and four sizes, the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, or the large for extended stays. Key design features. Well, Eric, show up one key design feature. Yeah, that's a design feature, ladies and gentlemen. That piece of luggage is going nowhere. That's German polycarbonate, unrivaled in strength and impact resistance, and very lightweight. Also sounds good. Sounds like a timpani drum. The interior features a patent-pending compression system helpful for overpackers, plus four 360-degree spinner wheels, which guarantee a smooth ride. Now, 
I want to say something in an editorial vein about people who drag their wheelies around. Do you ever trip over one? How about just carrying the damn thing like a grip and getting some strength of those arms? Oh, it says TSA approved combination lock built into the top of the bag to prevent theft. Now, is, is it TSA approval? Is that a bullish point or a bearish point, I wonder? I suppose they mean it to be bullish. So, uh, I don't know, so many free, so many wonderful things. Lifetime warranty. Anything breaks, we'll fix it, replace it for you for life. I guess that's your life. 100 day travel. Live with it, vibe with it, travel with it, Instagram it. If at any point you decide it's not for you, return it for a full refund, no questions asked. Free shipping on any away order within the lower 48 states. Carry on sizes that are compliant with all major US airlines while maximizing the amount you can pack. If you're in town, please be sure to visit away at their retail store in New York City. Special offer for listeners of our show. This is the call to action, ladies and gentlemen. Pay attention, please. Grant is the promo code. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com grant and use promo code grant during checkout. Repeat the offer and call out. Okay, for $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com grant and use promo code grant during checkout. All right, so thank you, Away Travel. Michael Schaus, uh, you went to Columbia Business School, which is the uh, citadel uh, value investing. And here we've been like eight minutes into this project. We have not yet once talked about valuation. And I have in front of me uh, a graph that, uh, that Bob Farrell, uh, the uh, terrific uh, decades-long uh, market technician and strategist, uh, mostly I think at Merrill Lynch, he, he's, he puts a lot of store in the ratio of stock market cap to nominal GDP. And as the listeners can see, if they would just focus this graph, it would, it would appear to be a breakout into extraordinarily high, or I'm not sure if it's bullish or bearish, but it, I, I'm going to pass this to you, all right? And you can describe it for the listeners because I think it is a piece of work. Here it is. It's the rustling you hear, ladies and gentlemen, is the piece of paper being passed. All right. Thank you, Jim. What is that story? First of all, you describe it for the listeners and tell us what it tells you. Well, this shows the peak in August. It's, it's a ratio 19, of, of It's a overall, ratio of stock market right? capitalization okay. as a percentage of nominal GDP. Right. And uh, goes in a range from 80% to 15% from 1920 to 1992. And then in the great bubble, 99 to 2000, it got as high as 180. So it, it went to the double. Uh, the Nothing before seen like that, right? Right, right. And now after going uh, back down in 09, it went down to 60. And then um, now we're at 128. Was, compare 60 at the depths of 2009 with what the peak was in 1929. So the peak was 81 in 1929. And the the low in 2009 was 60. Right. So it basically came down. Um, so We've done a lot of work on valuation because if you're looking at stocks, how can you not use valuation? Well, it right? appears, it seems it to appears be that, that uh, the entire <laughs> indexed world is happy never to pay attention. Yeah, no, it, 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 it seems like it should be very important. Um, and it, it is always important in retrospect. But what this chart shows pretty clearly is that if, if something can double the old high, it's not very useful in the short term. And that's what we found, that if you look at valuation, you know, six, seven to 10 years out, it's it's valid. It really uh, is important for future returns. But one, two, the three, or four years out, it's completely noise. So you could have the most overvalued market and the next 40% is just likely up or down. So it basically tells you nothing um, in, in that time frame. So if you're an investor um, and you're looking out and you can afford, like Warren Buffett put something away for 
10 years and not look at it and, and can actually do that. <laughs> that, that's that's more of a challenge um, than valuation um, is well, helpful. But, you know, but let's let's uh, not uh, move too quickly past Kraft Heinz and Warren Buffett's rueful statement in the wake of his acknowledgement that they overpaid. He said, uh, I think I think I'm quoting this more or less faithfully. He said, um, most businesses, in fact, almost all businesses, not quite all, but almost all businesses can be good investments at a price. But there is no business that cannot be a bad investment at a price. And he said, we've overpaid for Kraft Heinz. Now, he was prepared to hold that forever. That's his favorite holding period. And um, uh, Evan, sitting across from me, and uh, Michael, to your right, at uh, about 3 o'clock, right? Yeah. Evan, you, you did a lot of work on Kraft Heinz. Yeah. So reflect on the seeming paradox that valuation can be extraneous for the market up to three years out, and our experience with Kraft Heinz having been slightly early, but we've, we've been earlier. Yeah, we, 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 have been, we have been generationally earlier. We, we were too early in Valiant. Uh, the stock almost doubled before it uh, basically fell to the ground. But we first wrote about Kraft Heinz of not getting it wrong in March of 2016. It continued to rally for the next year. And then it kind of like hung air. And then it just started slowly going down as more and more problems cropped up. Problems that we had discussed well in advance and that were pretty clear to anybody who did the work on the stock. And a stock that was trading at a very lofty multiple above, well, I want to say like 25 or 30 times earnings, suddenly um, drifted down to um, to a lot lower. Well, there, there are fundamental problems. People weren't buying buying the canned goods and the prepared foods that uh, they were manufacturing. There were a number of problems. Um, so Kraft Heinz uh, makes the kind of consumer packaged goods that sit in the middle of a grocery store. People are moving more towards uh, fresh or organic, better for you, the kind of stuff that they don't sell. I mean, Kraft singles are many things, but they are not healthy for you. On top of this, the way that they managed the business was Kraft Heinz wanted to focus on a few brands that they thought were winners, even though they had a portfolio of 30 or so brands. So they picked one winner, which is Heinz. And now Heinz makes uh, mayonnaise. So it's no longer just Hellman's mayonnaise, there's Kraft mayonnaise, but they also make mayo mixed with mustard. Um, what they call that mustays mayo chup well they make all but these isn't, things isn't amazon making mustard amazon's making mustard too but the, the point is they focused all their r d and uh, advertising on just heinz so the other brands withered so this year they had to take a large write down because those brands had declined at a much faster rate in the overall right. business so anyway so michael you guys do no fundamental research on individual stocks right myself I, that's not my my area now but, but we, have, firm, we have anal we have stock. analysts to do yeah oh yeah yeah how do you integrate that into your macro calls say well, if an analyst comes up and says uh, you know craft heinz is no good except you're bullish on the market what do you do well, we always have a mix of long and shorts. So ah. the overall market outlook goes into the net exposure. Well, and yeah. so um, the the individual stock picks will come up, up from the bottom. Well, Michael Schaus, we are coming back to you in just one moment. But first, we're going to hear a few words, a few happy words about NetSuite. Has your company outgrown QuickBooks? Are shared spreadsheets, manual processes, and legacy systems costing you time and money? Probably, right? Yeah. Now is the time to move your business to the cloud. Introducing NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. With NetSuite, you can save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, and accounting, orders, and HR instantly right from your desk or even our, your phone. Eric, do we have an HR department here? I don't know. I don't think we do. Well, maybe We're you are. Kind of HR, I think. Yeah. Or certainly, we hope, H. So thousands of the best-known brands and fastest-growing companies use NetSuite to manage their business, and now it's available to you. So the power of the world's most popular cloud management system is more affordable than you think. So right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights to overcome the obstacles that are building, oh, sorry, holding your business back for free. Don't miss out on unleashing your business's full potential 
with this free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth. You'll learn how to acquire new customers, increase profits, and finally get real visibility into your cash flow. What I want in our cash flow is a little more damn cash flow. Visibility is nice. Get NetSuite's guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, when you go to netsuite.com grant. Now, download their free Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, Crushing today. It's like crushing influence. <laughs> crushing the five barriers to growth guide today at netsuite.com slash grants that's netsuite.com slash grants um so you are long and short now this this is a daring strategy in the day and age when it's well known that every single short sale goes up as soon as you put it on well that's just the rueful impression of some bears but tell us about your short book is it larger than usual shorter than usual is it uh usual so our uh stock pickers uh is uh, the analysts worry about that, and I worry about the top down. But just to get back to the, the valuation, if stock is overvalued, um, we found that you really need a catalyst. Um, and it's not the valuation that will turn the market. So an overvalued market is not going to turn down because it's overvalued. And while conditions are good, the market will continue higher. And Marty always said, you know, while conditions are good, there's you can't put a number on how high the market will go because people get crazy and do both ways. And so when conditions are good and monetary is easy, the, the market will keep going higher. Um, but if the valuation's high, when conditions turn negative, it will fall, fall farther. Uh, Michael, I'd like to ask you a question about macro and stock picking, but just by way of that, a story. So in 2008, I was going to a presentation where a portfolio manager was pitching Mohawk Industries as a long. Mohawk, if you don't know, is a carpet maker. And walking out of it, a close friend of mine said to me, that is the finest microeconomic presentation of any stock I've ever seen. And it only misses one point that we're namely in a housing crisis. And of course, Mohawk fell because of that. As you're kind of looking at what your analysts bring to you today and kind of when you look in the market, what does your macro analysis say that the market's just getting fundamentally wrong based off of the macroeconomic data you're, you're reading? Well, the, the macroeconomic data is pretty simple from our standpoint. We have moderate economic growth, falling inflation, and a neutral Fed. And so that's, that's positive going forward. I think what people we, are getting wrong right now is we're, we're seeing a divergence from economic expectations are extremely low. Um, if you look at the Bank of America, their mail survey they do once, once a month, the economic expectations are, you know, people are still talking about a recession. And I don't, you, people are talking about uh, the bond bears were everywhere uh, middle of 2018. I haven't heard any bond bears. Um, people are pretty sure rates are going lower because they have an expectation that the economy is getting weaker. ECB comes out, people sell stocks because it confirms their view. Wow, the economy is getting weaker. That's bad. Our economic outlook is showing things are really picking up, whether you're looking at commodity prices like copper, crude, whether you're, you're looking at the stock market, the S&P is up 18% from the low, the Shanghai Composite rallied 23%, and even interest rates, the 10-year went from 254 to 273. Um, and that is telling us that the economy is, is improving over the next three months. It's the opposite of what we had in September, October, when things were looking the other way. And so now that things are improving, everyone's still looking in the rearview mirror thinking, wow, the economy's getting weak. And in fact, it's, it's getting better. And so I think that's a fundamental mismatch. And that's one of the reasons this month we're moving our bond our rating from a three to a two. Uh, three is neutral, two is bearish. So we're, we're expecting that long-term rates will, will go up, which where is will a very the contrary um, yeah. view right now. Where will the 10-year well, go? Well, again, we, we don't 
pick levels because well, how about it would just a conditions. Date, What's that? It's just a date. <laughs> exactly, a date or a level. <laughs> Learn that from Marty too, right? <laughs> God, I was, I, Marty and I were pals, um, well, pal acquaintances. No, we were really close, but, but uh, we would go down to Wall Street week together. Now, Marty was uh, a man of some wealth and he was such uh, so a man of the people. He would, uh, he would had his own plane early. I'm not sure if he had his own plane, but he certainly was on first name basis with the pilot. Um, and there were no other people on the plane except Marty and me. So I think something to do with a private aircraft, leased, owned, rented, who knows. But anyway, there were two of us on the plane. So we land. And uh, so how to get from the airport to Owings Mills, Maryland to tape Wall Street week? Well, here comes Donald. Donald's a cab driver. And Donald is uh, a Baltimorean of, of a certain age, a smoker, to judge by the interior of his cab, and not overly punctilious about uh, vacuuming the cab or washing it in the outside. Or the cab was, it did move, but it wasn't a comfortable ride. And um, once I asked Marty, Marty, what's, uh, what's this with uh, this particular cab? And he said, well, Donald took me to Wall Street Week the first time. <laughs> And he was such a loyal guy, and and such a uh, and uh, I don't know, such a such a I guess the word is mensch. But he was. But anyway, so Marty and I would be on Wall Street we together a couple of times, and uh, and I'd listen to Marty, the wise one who had the record to uh, validate and to prove and quantify his wisdom, would say, don't fight the Fed. I was thinking to myself, that's my job. I can't stand these people. I can't stand what they're doing with the currency. I can't stand their ideology. I can't stand their pseudo-scientific approach. To... But Marty insisted, and I dare say that that was the correct trading strategy, not to fight the Fed, which name I can't stand to say, except I spit it out. Fed. Fed. So we're not going to fight the Fed. Don't fight the tape. Don't fight the Fed. Be happy. Well, I'm living a life in opposition. What else? Well, it's funny that you mentioned those because uh, in last the fourth quarter, you know, I, I wrote a piece that said, uh, fight the tape, don't fight the tape, but sometimes you want to fight the tape. And that was a time that you actually did. And same with the Fed. So these rules, um, like everything on Wall Street, since, yeah. since we do empirical historical analysis, this is not physics, where right? the rules change. And that's the key part of what we do is to keep looking and to keep figuring out how the rules are changing. And, you know, the tape is something that is very important. But when the, the rest of the background conditions are good, you do want to fight the tape. Can you point to a time in which you fought the tape and the tape won? Uh, well, the fourth quarter. <laughs> the, the, the uh, you know, living through that was a, a great example of our research process because it, it was, um, it was hell, if I might say that, because the tape is going against you every day and you keep running tests and most people are cutting back because mentally they can't take it. And, you know, for a while, the momentum guys look right because they're cutting back like they did in 2008. They cut back, he keeps going down. They say, I'm, I'm a genius. And I'm standing out there saying, no, you've got to hold on. And then it goes another, you know, 5% lower. And you're thinking, you know, it's December 24th. It's, it's actually the 25th and I'm home running, you know, historical tests while the kids are opening presents. <laughs> I'm thinking, what am I doing? But it's that kind of work that gives you the conviction to hang in there when you should. But see, Michael, here's the good thing, that owing to your prescience and sticking with it on December 25th, your kids, when they go to the psychiatrist, will have the wherewithal to pay that shrink, right? <laughs> yeah, good. 
Yeah, no, it's um, the, the market is, will always test you and, you know, it, it's always going to go against you one way or the other. And, and right now, uh, you know, we're thinking rates are going to go higher, but, you know, they, maybe they'll go lower. But, but I'm not going to, okay, I'm not going to insist on it. I'm not going to insist on a level, but I am going to ask a simple qualitative question. You ready? I'm going to ask Michael Schaus of Brenton Point. Are they going to go a little higher or a lot higher? Well, right now we've got CPIs at 1.6 right. and 10 years at 265-ish, um, so we're about 100 basis points over. Normally, a, a normal uh, real yield would be 200 over, um, and, and it can go higher than that. So I would say, you know, and, and I think inflation is going to go higher. So, you know, I think rates could go to, to 4% in the 10-year uh, within, you know, do I want to say a date? Within a couple of years. So I think the trend is higher, and, and this... So you're looking, for, you're looking for a sustained move to the upside in yields? Sustained. The, we're going to get stronger economic growth than is expected because one of the things that's going on right now with Brexit and the trade war is it's created a lot of anxiety. And it, it actually reminds me of the 2016 election where you have a political event and it's created people. It is changing behavior. People are, you know, sourcing, um, you know, around the world, they're, they're changing their, their factories. And um, so it's creating pent up demand though. And so once we get a resolution, and I'm not, I don't know which way it's gonna go on Brexit or the trade war, but there will be a resolution of some sort. I think there's gonna be uh, a lot of upside because UK, we, we priced in the worst case. Is the UK market cheap? Is, is Britain cheap? It is cheap. Are you buying it? We don't have an official position in Breton Point, but if we did, I, I would say yes. Yeah. Um, it's a classic case of we're priced in the worst case scenario. I, I saw an article that said the UK is uninvestable. That, so sounds, that, that should help, bullish, that should yeah. perk your ears up yeah. as a contrarian, right? <laughs> He's putting his buy orders in right now. <laughs> yeah, excuse me, man, I've got a place of, an ill-timed phone call. Yeah, I, I have another question on you. In some of the research you shared with us, you pointed out that over the last couple of years, the EAFE, which is an index of um, basically world stocks excluding the U.S., has underperformed the S&P 500 by something like 50%. Uh, percent. And you said over the very long term, looking last two or three decades, it's been a coin toss whether the S&P 500 or the EAF would actually outperform one or another. But that this long trend of continued underperformance was unusual. Are you bullish on kind of worldwide equities outside of the U.S.? And if so, how are you positioning yourself? So we did a piece that said um, you you want to diversify because diversification is the only risk control ultimately and especially if you invest in things that are less correlated because we find a lot of things become correlated with anything that's going up and so when it goes down everything goes down um, so that applies to foreign stocks that we want to have position in foreign stocks we came out with a five rating um, which is the most bullish rating on uh, we call them born developed countries, um, which is the IFA index. And that's based on um, the chance that the dollar does roll over because we found there was a huge correlation between a weaker dollar and the IFA foreign stocks outperforming the US. And so what we've had is a long dollar strength and that's resulted in, in uh, weaker foreign, foreign uh, returns. Michael, we have exactly time for one exact question. All right. No Grants podcast would be uh, complete without a question about the barbarous relic. Gold, bullish, bearish, neutral. We have a five bullish rating. Don't you go to six sometimes? Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Michael Schaus, thank yeah. you for being here. And Evan, uh, thank, thank you. you. Of course, you have to be here. And Eric, ditto. You know, this is Jim Grant for Current Yield, and we'll talk to you soon.